Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to another edition of Ramble with Russell Extra, the home of intelligent rambling right here on the Talk Show Network. I'm Russ Hale. Welcome to another special edition of my Ramble with Russell podcast. Every once in a while when I get some extra content, I, I like to kind of throw one extra episode up during the week just to share with you guys. And unlike other podcasts and other websites, I don't charge you extra for this. I don't charge you a premium or a extra membership. Any extra content is free, and that's the way it's going to be as long as I'm in charge of the show. So that is what I bring to you. And this week's edition of Extra, and I don't do them all the time, but I do when I can, we're going to spotlight the Game Developers Conference that took place this past week in San Francisco, California. This year round, and I did this last year, I have not one but two people to talk to, two Canadian uh, Ontario developers, and I thought, why not uh, Ontario since since uh, I live in this province currently. The, it's, it's a big annual conference for people from all uh, walks of day- gaming, whether it be app gaming, PC, uh, console, whatever, all kind of congregate to really share ideas sort of thing. And, and, and it's, it's very interesting to talk to this side of the coin. I mean, I play games and I talk about games in the show all the time, but it's nice to talk to people who actually make this stuff. And I had a great conversation with them last year's special. Of course, you can check that right here on the talk show feed. Just go back about a year ago and you'll see that special. This time around, again, I spoke to two people. The first person you'll hear me speak to is Brad Keys. He's the founder of Rebel Hippo. And I'll talk, and his, his market is basically PC and console gaming. So I'll talk to him him about that world and how to develop uh, games for either your your computer or your uh, you know three six your Xbox One or PS4. So we'll explore that side of it. The second interview will be with Christian Latour. He is the community manager of from SHG Games, as also based here in Ontario. With him, we talk about the wonderful world of mobile gaming and how their company, that's been around for over seven years now, has grown from a browser-based game to to a, a mobile gaming community, and how important the word, the sense of community is when it comes to gaming. And I can talk. From a, a long-time gamer myself, community is is everything when it comes to online gaming. So we'll have a great talk with those two people about that. Uh, as usual, uh, we, we'll have our, our regular show coming up on Monday, but more on that at the end of the show. So we're going to take a quick, quick little break, and we'll be right back with Brad Keys, the, one of the founders of Rebel Hippo. Founder and developer of Rebel Studios, welcome to the show. Thanks, great to be here. 
Now, how are you enjoying G- uh, GDC so far? Oh, it's pretty cool. Uh, there's a lot of uh, virtual reality tech that seems to be all the hype right now. Um, lots of people, uh, great attitudes. It's a lot of fun. Now, what was your goal coming into this conference this year? Uh, mostly just to um, get a little bit more exposure for the game we're working on, Just Pretend, um, as well as speak with uh, the major uh, gaming publishers such as uh, Sony and Microsoft. Now, is is that the key for a lot of uh, developing companies is to try to get an inroad to those bigger boys? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a lot of unknowns. Um, you can only find out so much information uh, publicly. Uh, so it's it's great to actually have a one-on-one with some of the account managers uh, that deal with developers, and you can finally ask the questions that they don't typically just put out there. Um, there's a lot of uh, like private deals that each company has with uh, people like PlayStation and, and Xbox. So, yeah, it's all kind of secret for some reason. <laughs> right. Now, you're a relatively new studio, studio to the market. What, what got you going? Yeah, uh, we started out in uh, 2011 um, doing game analytics. Uh, we made a product called uh, Lumos. And that was uh, how we got started. We did that for a few years. And, uh, you know, gaming's kind of uh, just our passion. And right. uh, a lot of other game analytics services came on the market over time. And basically, we felt we had to transition into just game development. It's it's what we love. It's what we're passionate about. So, so what do you think makes a, a, a good game these days? Because the, the mobile market has, has just expanded greatly over the last few years. Yeah, for me, I'm not even interested in developing for mobile anymore. Oh, okay. The, the amount of money it takes to properly market a game on mobile is just ridiculous. Um, ah. you know, I, I'm told by some mobile studios in Toronto that uh, they kind of anticipate uh, <clears throat> spending about five hundred thousand dollars in marketing wow. on a on a game on a mobile game. That, right. That's pretty crazy, and for like a small studio like me, that's just out of the question, really. So, where's your market that you guys are trying to go for? So we're we're aiming more at uh, console and PC right now. Um, right. <clears throat> the last few years has been very good for indie developers on consoles. Um, the platforms have really opened up. Right. Um, <clears throat> so it's easier and a lot cheaper just to become a developer now for consoles. Ah. Um, game engines such as Unity also now support those game the platforms uh, like PlayStation and Xbox. So it's really easy now to, to really get a foot in the door and, uh, and get out there. And um, <clears throat> the marketing side of things, if you do release a game on a platform like PlayStation... Uh, right. your, your game shows up in their store. Uh, same with on Steam if you release with Valve. And yeah, it's uh, the exposure is a lot. I think there's you have a much higher chance of players seeing your game by releasing on console these days compared to mobile. Exactly. I mean, the market has really expanded. Now, is there a difference developing a game for a console and for a PC? What, what differences do you have to keep in mind? Uh, I think the the biggest thing really would be 
um, if you're using controller or, or mouse and keyboard. Right. Um, for our game, we're really focused on controller. Um, okay. You can play it with keyboard and mouse as well, but uh, you know, I think some games are just they just lend themselves better to to a controller, and that would be really the the biggest difference in in development. Uh, aside from um, each each platform you release on will have its own services. Um, you know, PlayStation Network uh, has you know their uh, social their achievements, their trophies, right. and, and that sort of stuff. And same with Valve. So again, like each platform has small differences in that regard, but for the most part, it's really not that different. True. And when it comes to actual controllers, I mean the 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 the, the Microsoft and the the Sony ones are similar, yet they're slightly different. Does that come into play as well? Yeah, I think it does a little bit. Um, for example, the Sony's DualShock 4 has a touchpad on it. Right. <clears throat> and I think uh, really they want games to utilize all of the, the buttons <laughs> for the most part. Exactly. It, you know, you just got to figure out what makes sense. And sometimes uh, maybe it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, and that can be awkward. Yeah, but, I know. Now, yeah. now, have you considered the, the Connect and the Move portions as well too? Or is that a little bit too much? No, we haven't really uh, thought too much about that sort of thing, but um, we have been doing some VR uh, contract work lately, and you know the the VR out there is really awesome, and uh, it's really tempting to just put VR support in every game. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so much fun, and it's so neat, and uh, it's actually pretty easy to implement too now, i mean we've come a long way really from the 1990s when it kind of first started going yeah although i think there's 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 more to come I, I mean we're just touching the level of what we could get really yeah definitely now um what what kind of now how long how long ago did you just start your, your most recent game we started designing it about a year ago okay um we started developing a prototype uh, starting last summer right and uh, and that prototype is uh, currently what we're still working with um it's just me working on it full time and uh there's about five other people working contract uh, evenings and weekends right um so it's been kind of a slow development but uh the goal is to show this prototype in a kickstarter campaign ah. And then uh, try and get into full production there, hire more of the team on full time, and and get things rolling. Oh, okay, yeah. So so it's a matter of um, j just getting. Now, do you have an uh, ideal launch date? I know with studios it can vary. Even with the bigger ones, launch dates can always vary. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, I'm thinking late 2017. Oh, okay. Now, what are the key things that that you need to get to get done? to get this as a ready game? Oh, quite a bit. Mostly content. Ah. Uh, the, the prototype we have right now is kind of a sandbox where right. uh, we can experiment with uh, various enemies and weapons, and all, all the systems are kind of in place. Um, the, we have a procedurally generated world. Right. Um, so, you know, that that's all in place right now, and it's great to be able to experiment with that sort of thing early on, and it's really going to help uh, 
define what our decisions are um, when we do the kind of final game design right. document. Um, so yeah, mostly content at this point, a lot more uh, art and uh, enemies, items, that sort of thing. Now, developing for consoles, you always have to consider DLC. DLC has become such a big part of a lot of modern games. Yep, definitely. Um, for us, uh, we're thinking about having new characters and uh, it's kind of a unique part of our game. It, it's a it's a roguelike and it's a lot like uh, we kind of wanted to recreate the Zelda Link to the Past experience, but have it so that every time you play, it's a brand new world. Ah. So it's very cool. And uh, um, <laughs> what was your what was your question again? Now, now, so it, it how so you've already put the money you put the thought into what what the DLC content's going to be then? Yes, DLC. All right. So kind of the the interesting thing we were doing is. Uh, alternate endings. Ah, as well. right. Yeah. The um, which games? It um, there's a game franchise I can't think of, but but Mass Effect. They 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 love their alternate endings. <laughs> yeah. So what we're trying to do is have this condensed Zelda experience where you might be able to beat the game in about half an hour. Right. As someone who's who's kind of understands the game should be able to beat it in about thirty minutes and. Uh, that would just be your your typical playthrough, the the obvious way to beat the game. Right. But then someone, a more experienced player, will feel comfortable exploring the world and will find uh, other things that they may have just walked by or or whatever. And uh, these these things, if you can figure out the puzzle or whatnot, uh, you're gonna find yourself going down a new path to a new boss and finding new areas of the game, new environments, and new challenges. And that that's really what we want to focus on. That's how we want to offer uh, more challenging uh, experiences in the game. And we think it's a great opportunity for DLC. So going forward, we can just keep adding uh, little hidden things throughout the world that lead to larger paths to new bosses and, uh, yeah, just big new experiences. Right, like side quests, a lot of uh, big games now adventure of free roamers have side quests that can you can do at, even after you complete the main storyline to get more out of a game yep so yep. now i notice your artwork and maybe i'm wrong of this but it seems very don bluthian in 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 inspiration um i'm not sure oh okay i'm not sure if you're aware of that artist but what 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 would were there any artists or or shows or anything that did that influenced your design of the game the concept art is uh, was not done by me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm just curious. I'm, very, I'm honestly not not sure uh, what the inspiration is from. Uh, the concept artist is someone I've worked with on a few games in the past, and she's just fantastic. Now, what are the big challenges for a company like you, being only you know less than ten employees, uh, compared to some of the bigger ones that have a much bigger employee base? Uh, for me, it's it's really challenging uh, being the developer on this game, but also having to you know manage people, um, do accounting, do social media, all that sort of stuff. And like at the end of the day, you know, there's maybe only fifty percent or less of my time can actually be spent on development. Ah, uh-huh. so that that's really the I think the biggest challenge I'm facing at the moment. So being able to 
expand the team and uh, delegate tasks <laughs> would be very nice. Now, where do you, what do you see the big trends now for PC and console games? Because for a while, there was rumor that, oh, consoles are going to kick PC gaming out and it's going to die a slow death and, you know, and, and it'll go away. And it obviously hasn't happened in the industry. Yeah, um, some big trends I'm seeing right now. Um, well, yeah, VR is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it, it really takes off, who knows? But there is definitely a lot of interest in mm-hmm. it. Um, Another trend I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, talk about is cross-platform play. Right. I think Rocket League has really uh, spawned a lot of this discussion. And I think just yesterday, Microsoft finally announced that they were they are going to allow uh, cross-platform play uh, between PlayStation and PC. So that that's kind of big news. Um, and I, again, I think Rocket League is kind of the reason for them making that decision finally. Ah. Uh, there's, there's never been any any uh, game you can play on Xbox that can play with another console. Yeah, and it, it seems to be it's a big two main ones are saying, you know, we can, you know, as much as we do exclusives for each of our systems, there is something to working together and yeah. making mine together, yeah. not just being completely opposite all the time. For sure. And I think, like, over time, you're just going to see the consoles and PC just keep opening up. And, uh, you know, I think it over time, it'll be very difficult to tell the difference between a console and PC. <laughs> now, one of the things I've noticed, I want to get your perspective on this, is, is the evolution of, of, of graphics when it comes to consoles. Now, when I went from a PS1 to a PS2, I saw a huge difference. And I went from PS2 to PS3, and I saw a huge difference. Now, PS3 to PS4... Other than detailing and maybe um, uh, uh, refresh rates and, and 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 that kind of thing, I, I we haven't seen, we seem to be hitting a plateau when it comes to graphics. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, there's a lot to it. Um, I think the the more uh, it, the tools for development also have to kind of improve as well. You know, it takes time, a lot of time, to make a, a fantastic looking asset. And uh, for game studios to really commit to making just a astonishing graphics, it, that really costs a lot more. It's going to take a lot more time. And really, only certain games are going to benefit from that extra bit of detail. So mm. I don't think we're going to see too much uh, in that vein of things go- getting better. Um, maybe for virtual reality, um, but yeah, there might be, there might be interest there in making things as realistic as possible. Um, but any VR I've tried so far was actually, if anything, they're, they've been more cartoony. Ah, exactly. Now, because I and I want to get your take on this too. I've always felt my opinion that there's a limit to what the human eye can register. And I, sure. I think we're, yeah. we're hitting the limit when it comes to graphics and, and reality and really as good as it, you know, we can perceive it, short of having yeah. live action on your game. Yeah, for sure. Like even, uh, you know, some people have difficult uh, difficulty really seeing a difference between like a DVD and a Blu-ray. Uh, I, I can oh, see I it. Oh, I can and, see it too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's kind of at that point where it is 4K noticeable yeah. compared to Blu-ray like I don't know is it really worth it 
I'm not sure. Yeah, and and I mean, I I have noticed that yes, faces are better detailed. Rain effects are amazing now. When I look at them on my Xbox One. Yep. But beyond that, it's like it's I don't know. Uh, I'm not seeing a huge difference between P3 and and Xbox and, and Xbox One, other than slightly prettier. Yeah, and I don't think I think that'll continue to be the case even when the next generation comes in. Yeah, it'll be telling when the when the P5 hits and whatever Xbox wants to call their next console. Yeah, which who knows what that name's going to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be the 720. <laughs> which was rumored for years. Yeah. So where where what's the next step for for you guys? Uh, obviously you're, you're pushing towards the release date 2017, but what what's next in the horizon? Uh, next on the horizon, the, the kind of big thing for us is our Kickstarter campaign. Right. Uh, so that'll be coming up uh, later in the spring. Okay. And uh, right now we're just really trying to make sure we got everything lined up. Um, so you know we're reaching out to the media and uh, just trying to make sure that our, our demo that we show off on, on Kickstarter is uh, what we need it to be. Um, you know, we're, none of us are, are famous and a lot of the more successful uh, video game Kickstarters, they're usually involve some famous person right. and uh, oftentimes they don't even have a demo. Oh, geez. So we, we just, yeah. So we decided early on, like since none of us are really that known, uh, we better have a demo so that people can can say, okay, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah, no, so uh, I I, really I agree with that completely. That's that's a that's a great way to go in that. And I, and I'd, I'd love to try it out once you guys get it running. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I I lo- I have always I've always on my show always encouraged um, developing gamers and filmmakers because uh, okay, you know. I think it's uh, luckily in Canada, our government is very generous when it comes to filmmakers and developers. Very generous. So, yes. so uh, I love when people take advantage of that. Yep. yep. Well, um, it, it's a pleasure talking to you, Brad. I really look forward to this, this thing coming out. From what I've seen from the concept sketches, looks to be a gorgeous game, and uh, I'm looking forward to trying it out. Thanks. Snake was walking all through the school. Then he was talking. He up and broke the rules. He done threw a pizza pocket across the hall. It went up like a skyrocket. Jake the snake was walking. Jake the snake was talking every day.
Now is Christian Mature from SHG Studios. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Russell. Happy to be here. Now you uh, you are part of the the mobile gaming community. How did you guys get started? Well, SHG actually started about eight years ago doing browser and Facebook games. Uh, did that for a couple of years with some good success. And probably about five years ago, we started transitioning into the mobile space. Did a couple casual games to start uh, and then got into some slightly more serious stuff uh, where we were bringing over some of the social that we had done in browser, trying to move that into the mobile space and still maintain some of the, the good numbers that we were able to create in browser. And uh, so, yeah, we've been developing for mobile ever since. Now, that's been the mobile industry has really picked up. I mean, and, and you consider where browsing has gone. A few years ago, nobody even used Facebook as gaming, and that's become a huge industry on itself. What was the transition like going from browser-based to more phone and tablet-based? <laughs> it, it was definitely interesting making that transition that uh, the, the engagement rates uh, at browser level and at mobile are notably different, as you said, that somebody coming to a browser is far more likely to be taking their time, looking at the screen. You can deliver a lot more information on a single screen on browser, whereas when it comes to mobile, you have a lot of people who are sitting on the, the subway train heading to work that they've only got a couple of minutes. So the total information <clears throat> that you can deliver <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, is definitely less, that you have to be much more focused with how you deliver the experience. Now, is there a difference if you were to have to develop it, whether it's an Android system or iOS, since those are the two main dominants, really, these days? Mm. For the most part, we've been delivering the same experience on both. Uh, we have a tendency to develop on Android first, uh, use that sort of as our te test platform to refine the product, and then do the jump to the iOS a couple months after, just to, to be able to iterate on one specific platform, test out the mechanics, and be confident on the economy, and then shift it over. Now, the way the market is, most of the games at this point are, are free, although there are some that you strictly have to pay for to start. And what is it like to balance the, the pay content versus the free content in, in the games? Uh, it's definitely a challenge. Game economies, uh, there's people giving entire talks about them here at GDC. Uh, one of the focuses that we've usually had is to make sure that while our game is free to play, we want to avoid being free to win. Uh, the approach we've taken to a lot of that is that we're trying to make sure that the game is pay to accelerate, not pay to win. And by that, I mean that as the players are playing, there's going to be opportunities for them to use real currency in the game to skip recharges and to, to move ahead into some of the aspects of the game they would normally be waiting for. But really, our approach is that simply is going to move them to a new segment of players and, and not change the overall game experience for them. So the fact that this person has chosen to monetize isn't impacting the other person's gameplay in any way, shape, or form. They simply may move out of that group, and, and the people who have been playing for free simply won't see that. We also try and focus a lot of our... Um, the, because of the strong social, we have a strong PvP, guilds, leaderboards, uh, and competitive play between these, that we try and focus 
on a PvP where how often you play is a more important metric than how far you've gotten. So if I'm running a guild that's fairly high level and I've got a new player, maybe a level two, level three, who's showing up every day, that's more valuable to me than a level 50 who's only showing up once a week because we've set up a metric to encourage that. And that means that the people who are monetizing that move ahead, they still have to show up if they want to be contributing part, uh, parts of their group. And it makes it more of this social experience. And, and that to us has been key to retaining players in the game, both long-term in, in a single session and having this long-term value of players who stay with us for multiple years. Right. And when it comes to designing, do you, when you when you go through the design process, is it, okay, this is free content, this we do as extra paid content? Is that going into the actual designing of, you know, as you're, as you're working through the game? Well, there's no doubt that during the design, we're thinking about where the, the pay is going to be used. But in most cases, the pay is going to be used for um, – uh, using the in-game currency to acquire various things. So whether the player is free or paid, they're going to have points in the game that they're using currency to purchase things. It's just that a paid player is going to have more access to some of the game currency. Now, as a past uh, user of a lot of MMORPGs, I remember City of Heroes and Village, which sadly has gone the way of the dust vapor. A yes, great it has game. Died. And and that game, what set that apart from WoW and, and Knights of the Republic and all that other stuff was a community. That 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 IP lasted for a good eight years, and what kept it <laughs> going was community. And that it it you it was the kind of game that you wanted to go back and spend like a couple hours each night doing. Yeah. And 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 I always thought that 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 is really the key to keeping an online game going is developing a good community around it. So when updates come, they don't go, oh, well, you just nerfed my character <laughs> or you just killed yeah. this option. Do you get a lot of those comments sometimes you put an update and you go and you get that kind of feedback? We do sometimes. Uh, one of the methods that we've uh, used to avoid some of those pitfalls uh, is that our approach to development sort of supports the assertion that you've just made, that it, it, it's all about having long-term content, that there's content within some of our browser games that a player can can play fairly regularly for almost six months to a year, and they still won't reach that additional content. So we'll have sort of a core experience that is accessible to all players, but then we'll other, have other segments of the game that it's fairly widely known and clear to the player that if you want to enter this segment and play this side story to completion, there's a very high likelihood you're going to need to monetize to complete it in any reasonable time frame. Now, we still get some players who approach that content and say, I'm perfectly fine with the long grind, and they'll take two more years to finish it. But by having some of this additional content for the late players and, and trusting that we're going to have long-term retention, regardless if it's high or low retention in a given month. Having that long tail to keep the players long-term helps. Uh, the other advantage you get once you have very long-term players is you can start enlisting some of them to be leaders within the community. That in uh, some of our browser games, we have multiple long-term players that we have approached and asked them to help moderate uh, the chat within the game that our social is very much built around a shout box where players can chat with each other consistently and it's simply broadcast to everyone. In that shout box, we rely heavily on both word filters and our moderators that we advertise our game as 13 plus and we're 
quite determined to make sure that it's a safe environment if a 14-year-old is coming in there. We, there's plenty of these MMOs that you've got 15-year-old kids who are going into them and learning how to swear. And that's definitely yeah. not the type of experience that we want to be delivering, that our moderators are capable of freezing a player account and removing their posts from the shout box. And we have a good collection of these who've been around with us for a number of years. So our investment in them has been the delivery of the game year over year. And that helps us take our development team and focus on the new games, the new product, the new content that we want to deliver. So when we're approaching features, we'll also engage some of these moderators because these are these are veterans of the game. They understand the economy in some cases almost as well as us. Definitely myself, who's not a programmer. I know that there's some of our users who are ahead of me on understanding the game economy. Um, so by going to some of these key influencers with our, within our own community and saying this is the sort of change we're looking to do, we can at times make some fairly radical changes in the game economy. And when we get pushback from some of the players, the moderators will be the first ones to say, hold on, we presented some of these objections to the developers, we talked it through, and we're satisfied that they've made the best choice for the community. And it saves us standing up there and defending it. We get to say, it's, it's the community's game. We're going to do with it what you guys would like to see done, and we're going to consult some smart people within the community to figure out what that should be. Yeah, and that makes sense. It's funny you bring up the age thing. Uh, a few years ago, I forget how long ago, uh, Second Life, which to me is primarily an adult playground, <laughs> decided to try to open up things to the younger teenager set. And back when I was active in that universe, uh, I thought that that was a really bad idea and that there yeah. are many things in that game, that that universe, that are not really child-appropriate. And kids really shouldn't be playing, on, like, allowed access to this universe. Yeah. And it's been one of those things that, that we've – we've made sure that the community we create is free of sort of this bullying and stigmatism and negativity and community building for us is really at the core of our game. And it's given us the chance to, we have cases of players in our browser games who have met up in real life, players who have gotten married. And we've even, because it's a seven and a half year run on this, we know of some of our uh, veteran players who have unfortunately passed on. And other members of the community knew them, were able to let the community know, and we simply immortalize their player accounts and keep them there so that the community recognizes, because it becomes something felt by the whole community when these people are lost. Yeah. Um, but that is, these people also become the communities that we're going to deal with as we develop new games, is we want to communicate to them and make them understand that we're a development studio looking to do really cool things and, and create communities in, in, within the gaming community. And, and they'll advocate for us quite strongly to help us get word out about our product. Yeah, and it, it's funny because my biggest argument with the Second Life thing was that it's not so much language it, it's their they they had developed this world to be adult and put a lot of adult things in there and to yeah. suddenly say let's open up to the teen you're not knowing your market you're saying to to, to do that is to, to allow younger kids in there is you'd have to revamp and take out all the adult things mm -hmm. and then you're pissing off the core people that devote a lot of time to this universe and i thought that as a marketing decision i didn't think that was a smart move and it, that's exactly it, is when you say marketing. And that's one of the things that we try and approach with our games that we do take from directly from marketing, is that when we're making a lot of decisions, especially in early design on new games, we'll go back to the old idiom of know your audience. Uh, 
And if you're going to create something that doesn't fit the audience you're delivering to, it can be an easy implementation. It can be something that you think is going to monetize really well. But if it doesn't target your audience, there's a good chance it's going to fall flat and you're simply wasting your time on it. And you have to be willing to let those sort of things go and decide, okay, well, we'll, we'll make another game that will target that audience and we'll use this idea at that point. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's know your audience is still a key thing. Yeah, and I've noticed that a lot of MORPGs that started off as a strictly pay subscription went to the free to get in, but then there are caps and levels to that freeness. Yes. So that, that trend has happened in the industry. One of the things I always used to like about MORPGs, and I, I noticed in some tablet app adventure games, if you will, is seasonal events. Yes. Uh, which, which really, you know, especially if you've – You've gone to the, the cap in a game. You've reached the top level. There's no more leveling you can do that, that really make you want to come back and play it more. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other approach uh, combined with seasonal events is we're seeing more cases where seasonal events will offer either uh, vanity or collectible items long term. That it really becomes uh, – in my mind, it's all about status that – and especially when we're creating communities, that if I join up a community, I don't just want to be part of that community. It'd be really nice if I was the cool kid in that community. Especially you get a whole bunch of, of computer geeks moving into this type of space. Getting to be the cool kid is one of these new experiences for some of us. So, uh, and, it, and it is all about finding these additional values for the player. That if you can deliver a seasonal event, and that seasonal event comes with a long-term token, that I can show people, hey... I was around for the summer solstice event. Here's my proof. Uh, it becomes something that that uh, offers a level of respect from other players and recognition. And, and this sort of feeds one of those needs that we feel players are coming to video games to, to fill. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the things I loved about the former City Heroes is they were really good at doing that. And they knew their community. And, and if you had a, commu- a seasonal event, you would get a badge or something from it that would show up in your profile of your character. Yes. You know, and that's and another that way is... of... It's another way of rewarding long-term players is that they build up these collections uh, and you can identify them and go back to them and, and, and then you start looking for ways of how do I, how do I doubly reward those people? And, and you start setting up tasks for, like, show up for five seasonal events and you get an it it becomes stacking rewards to be right. able to give the players games within games. Now there are so many different type of app games out there. There are your adventure games. There are your Tetris kind of puzzle games. There are many different genres. How does it go into designing an app or a game and saying, okay, this is the the genre we want to target this at? <laughs> I think some of it has to go back to the root of the team and the type of things that the teams are going to play. That if I'm going to build a first-person shooter and and I find out that all of my coders have a tendency to do like RPGs and Candy Crush, there's a good right. chance that those people aren't going to be able to invest in it. Um, I was having uh, some discussions with somebody earlier today. This is the advantage of GDC is to have these discussions, mm. is uh, about the fact that uh, oh, and now the jet lag's kicking in and I'm losing my thought. The <laughs> That's the other thing with GDC is it becomes this long conversation after conversation. You meet great people with lots of great ideas, but after a little while, your mind starts to fry out a little bit. 
Um, yeah, I get yes. That. So we were talking about uh, when we uh, grow art teams and stuff. Uh, so our studio right now sits at around 13 people. Uh, we peaked out probably back December, January, we were around 18 when we were we had uh, brought in a small additional art team on contract to help us some 2D, 3D assets. They finished their tasks. They're on to other stuff. We're back down to 13. We're now expecting by around the summer to jump up to around 2022. We have some art needs coming again. But I was chatting with somebody that in the early days of building the art team, one of the first uh, additions we made as we started to grow the team was looking for somebody who not only could do art, illustrations, character stuff, but who had an ability for concepting. And just trying to fill the studio with concept art as much as we can, because you need to fill the creative space, even for the coders, that it's fine to hand somebody a design document and, and define we're going to have this feature. These are its metrics. These are its triggers. These are its results. But if you also have concept art around that, it's amazing how that can influence the coder and the decisions that they're going to make in terms of, oh, I'm going to do this thing in an array. I'm going to code it this way, build this state machine, and, and these sorts of things. That having that vision expressed through bits of art everywhere can be critical to, to help cohesiveness on the team. Well, yeah, that goes back uh, to even today to when it comes to storyboard and movie making, especially when it comes to animation. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of times it's computerized now, but there are still some studios that will still draw out the whole movie in a storyboard and, and then they'll do it that way and then they'll animate around that to get as close yeah. as they can to it. Though when I see any of that stuff here at GDC, I find myself a little jealous that the, the budgets to be able to do that. As a small studio, it's, it's the consistent balance of how many hats am I wearing today and what can I achieve within those given hats that it, there are a lot of roles within a game studio. There's a lot of different things to be done, especially in this modern day where we're talking mobile and acquisition and monetization are specializations within their own rights that you have people who are focused on these things fairly consistently, and you still need to worry about your social media presence. You need to worry about support. Uh, you have to be doing your design documents, even right down to um, pitches and uh, and funding requests. That So we're a Canadian developer studio. We get a lot of support from both the federal government and the provincial government in the form of capital funds and tax credits. That, that There's a lot of push, particularly in the province of Ontario, for supporting interactive digital media, including video games. So it's you have all these various things that are going on, and, and it's like any game has the danger of feature creep, where you can only do so much within a given game and you have to decide what your scope is going to be and stick to it. Because sure. within small teams, you sort of have to parse down and say, okay, it'd be great to pretend that we're a AAA studio and adopt AAA practices, but we know that if we try that sort of thing, we're, we're simply going to run out of capital. We don't have the resources to invest in a AAA cycle. We have to decide what's what are the most important bits of the cycle. What parts do we adopt in this project and try and make the best decisions you can around that? Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the things I know you, uh, every, every studio likes to develop their own characters. Are there any um, you know, third-party IPs or properties or, or characters that you would love to develop a game with? <laughs> uh, if there were third-party stuff that we'd love to develop a game with, it's not likely to be anything mainstream. That ah. you're right. Everything we're doing, everything we're doing right now, is uh, our own IP. That we have characters. Right. So our new game that's coming out, Wasteland Heroes Boss Wars, 
is got uh, at launch 17 pilots. And these are 2D illustrated characters. Uh, the, the mood we're going for is sort of 80s Saturday morning cartoon. Everybody grew ah, up watching like Thundercats and Transformers, G.I. Joe, all the way back to Mask and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, so these characters are, are very vivid and engaging. Um, and then they have their, their 3D vehicles for during the combat scene and stuff. But a lot of our community stuff that we've been successful with has been finding small groups that are already cohesive in some way. So the example would be a, uh, a specific artist or a cosplayer or um, a comic book illustrator, things like that. And for us, we'd be thrilled to take some of those people regenerate them in our game and say, oh, look, you are now featured. Share with your community this interesting project that you've been able to partner with. Uh, we find those to be some of the most both rewarding and successful uh, endeavors that if you right. can if you can uh, show a community that you appreciate the same thing they do, it creates uh, a basis for trust and loyalty and they will come over in much larger numbers. They will invest themselves in the game, whether it's time or money, ideally both. Um, so those are the type of partnerships we've looked for. And we have experimented with some of these um, before with some of our browser game. Um, uh, there was a, a cosplayer out of the UK, uh, a woman by the name of Julieta, spelled with a G. It was a, a quite unique spelling. And she ah. did a, uh, a pilot for our Star Pirates game. And we were able to feature her in content in our game. So we have a side ah. story where if players play this, they actually see her in her cosplay costume for Star Pirates. Nice. And at the same time, at the end of it, you're linked back to her uh, Instagram account where she has all the various cosplays that she's been doing. And this is a very active cosplayer going to all the conventions and stuff. These are the type of relationships that we really enjoy getting to make. Now, when it comes to exposure, there's, there's a lot of uh, games brand that started as an app and are now the 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 branding of them like angry birds comes to mind it started (laughs) as a game and now we have plush toys now we have a movie coming out soon we've had a tv show developed and that that ip has just exploded it has yeah and Uh, we see it we see it in plenty of branding spaces the fact that disney acquired marvel is no coincidence no no coincidence at all yeah Uh, go ahead yeah, and also Star Wars and all that. Disney mm-hmm. knows how to acquire right brands. That goes back even to Muppets. Um, so is 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 that a long-term goal you hope to see, that something you create can have that kind of brand explosion? Well, I can't imagine anybody who isn't looking for those uh, – the ways of propagating the intellectual property. That mm. I think any studio that's creating their own intellectual property as opposed to acquiring licenses – is because somewhere someone within the team had this great idea that uh, I watch one of a, one of our team has this little black notebook that I'll catch him sketching in that he'll make some really interesting characters and and you just look at some of that stuff and you're like oh I'd love to see that get into one of the games somewhere and, right. and having that and again it goes back to some of that concept art that you get enough concept art around and you're going to see some things that you're going wow I hadn't even considered that that would be really awesome. And so, of course, if, if there's anybody listening who wants to do like a Star Pirates movie, we're thrilled to talk about stuff. Exactly. Um, but uh, on a, a more um, uh, 
stepping stone scale of things that we tend to look more in terms of branding for merchandise and stuff like that. And, and even when we're dealing with the cosplayers to see, there's an element of working with them to, to see if there's a way to merchandise and market through that means. Because there's also, you. it's all the virtual exposure as well to be able to get. Oh, yeah. 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 It's with mobile eyeballs on the product is always, I won't say always because markets ever changing, but in True. this day and age, uh, the challenge is eyeballs on the product or what we call user acquisition. That if you can find better ways of doing user acquisition or lower cost for high quality user acquisition, that is often key to success. You can have a great product if nobody sees it. It simply is just not going to get anywhere. There you go. So now we're, we're just started in the 2016. I have to keep remind myself it's 16, not 15 anymore. Yes. What, 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 what's uh, up, up in the head for the next few months for this year? Uh, for us, the next couple of months are pretty clearly dictated. So we have our Wasteland Heroes game uh, is going into soft launch next month. Uh, so starting to get into certain geographical areas as, as we get some of the metrics for this and see exactly where it should go next and, and getting some of the social established to, to know how it's going to perform. And at the same time, uh, we've been fortunate enough. I mentioned previously some of the Canadian government grants and stuff that we, uh, pitched and were approved for, uh, funds just under half a million towards a sci-fi collectible card game. That, there you that's, go. That's going to be our next big project. Uh, and that we're about three months into it. Uh, a lot of, uh, we have a, a physical prototype that we've started with to be able to iterate through the mechanics of the game, get it really tight where we'd like it to be. Uh, and then some of the studio growth that I talked about is uh, that we're building up an art team to be able to, to work on the cards. Because a good CCG, you're talking 250 to 300 cards for launch to be able to have a solid inventory and stuff. Uh, that one's probably about eight months out. And for the size of studio that we are, uh, that probably fills our dev team's capacity that we want to be careful not to do too much, especially that we publish our own stuff at this point. We've tried exactly. with various publishers over the years, but right now we are handling publishing, which means we also have to have the eyeballs on the user acquisition stuff, monetization and the rest of it. So well, yeah. that's where we are right now. I'm definitely looking forward to 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 trying this game out. You guys, de I get the feeling you definitely have a handle on the on this ever growing industry. <laughs> we certainly hope that we can uh, continue producing games. It's been eight good years, and we'd like to have at least eight more. There you so go. We have, we have a good team, and we'd like to keep making games. And uh, where can they find you on the web? So uh, our website is shgstudios.com, uh, and our new game is wastelandheroes.com. We've got a trailer up for that one, which, as I mentioned, is next month. And for some of the browser stuff to really see the, sto the social stuff, uh, starpirates.net, our, that's been our long-term browser game. Terrific. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and um, look forward to you in the future. Thanks, Russell. Really appreciate your time. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this special extra edition of my podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. And a big thanks, of course, go to Brad and Christian for taking time out of their busy days at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco to speak with me. I always love uh, hearing that side of the coin, and I look forward to trying out uh, their games when they get released 
later on this year, or in, in, in Rebel Hippo's case, sometime next year. I always appreciate when game developers take time out of their really busy day and, and talk to me. And it's one of those things I'd love to attend, but maybe maybe one day we'll, we'll see what goes on with that. As always, you can touch me with a number of ways. You can always check me out on Twitter. I'm at RamblingRuss. At R-A-M-B-L-I-N-G-R-U-S-S. Tweet me and I'll tweet you back. I always appreciate any retweets or favorites I get on Twitter. And also on social media, you can check me out on Facebook. Just type in Ramble with Russell in the search engine in Facebook. You'll find my fan page. Please check that out. I, I regularly on, on Facebook and Twitter also put all of the cover art for all the books and movies that I review on this show. I try to put that up there just to give you a visual representation of what I talk about. And, of course, all the fresh episodes you can find right here on the TalkShoot Network. I'm show 18411. That is my caller ID. We can find all brand new episodes of this show. For older episodes and for my original stuff, you can find go to my first home on the Internet. That's still at Lipson. HTTP, full colon, backslash, backslash, ramblingrus, R-A-M-B-L-A-N-G-R-U-S-S, dot L-I-B-S-Y-N, as in November, dot com. That's my original home on the Internet, where I have over eight-plus years of podcast, podcasting goodness going back from May 2006 right up until August 2013. Of course, all the new stuff right here on the TalkShoe Network. You can also check out my older podcasts as well in iTunes on the iTunes store under podcasts. Just search me out right there. Coming up on the next regular edition of the show, I got a bunch of great reviews for you coming up. Got to give you my review of the season two of Turn Washington Spies, courtesy of Anchor Bay Home Entertainment, the great AMC show on DVD. Also, I'll give you my review of Droids Tales on DVD, Lego Droids Tales, courtesy of Walt Disney Home video where we get the whole Star Wars saga told in Lego form through the viewpoint of C-3PO. Then, of course, we're going to, speaking of animated, we're going to keep with that, and I'll give you my Blu-ray review of the fourth installment of Alvin and Chipmunk's CGI. It's Alvin the Chipmunk's road chip as the, as the uh, chipmunks hit the road in a very kind of harsh way, but not not in a roadkill kind of way. And then also I'll give you my review of, of the brand new Daddy's Home, uh, starring Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg as competing dads, courtesy of Paramount Home Video. And of course, Al Chipmunks is courtesy of Fox Home Video. That's all coming up in the next regular edition of Ramble with Russell, which should hit the air on Monday, so keep looking for that. And as always, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. It's going to be a decent month for March. Got some really good reviews. And of course, coming up in April, hitting video is Star Wars, the um, the the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. And I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to see how they like some video. And there's going to be a Lego Star Wars Force Awakens as well, too, that I hope to get my hands on as well, too. And, and I do, uh, I have been I have been playing through the um I have been playing through the the Lego um Avengers on the P3 and I will give you that review sometime in the near future. I've just about finished the like 100% of the game. So, uh I'll I'll give you my take on on that before I talk about Star Wars. Well, I'll, I'll Make sure I get that done. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy these little extras. As I said at the top of the show, I will never charge people for extra content. I don't. I, you know, I, I enjoy doing it, and I enjoy bringing it to you, and I hope you enjoy it as well. That's it for me. A big shout-out again to Brad and Christian for joining me for this very special episode, and we'll catch you next time right here on the show. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.